Welcome to Psych Segments, all kinds of psychology knowledge in tiny segments. Hosted by your personal psychology professor and made for the psychology student or student at heart. A podcast that even your mom would approve of. Just ask Freud. Hey, thanks for joining me for another episode of Psych Segments. I'm glad to have you with me. If you're in a general psychology class, I hope it's going well. And I don't know if you've read any good books lately, but I'm going to bet that one you haven't read is the DSM, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. So the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, 5th edition, sometimes referred to as the DSM-5, is a book that was first published in the 1950s by the American Psychiatric Association. Up until that point, while medical practitioners had a way to diagnose physical ailments and medical disorders with the ICD, psychologists and therapists had no way to do so when it came to mental disorders. So the APA created the DSM as a way to universally recognize specific disorders and to identify the symptomology associated with each one. In a typical psychology class, you'll probably hear the DSM mentioned during the chapter on abnormal psychology and mental disorders. Now, the DSM was written in 1952, and the edition that we are currently using is actually the fifth edition of the book. Now, the book is quite large, and that's not because we've gotten crazier over the years as a society, although some may disagree with that. It's actually because over the last 60 years or so, we've become a lot better at identifying different disorders and how their symptomology may present. As time has gone by, we've added, expanded, combined, and even sometimes eliminated certain diagnoses, basically because our research indicates it needs to be done. As for the specifics of what the DSM provides, really all you have to do is look at the components of the title. So let's start with the D in DSM. The D stands for diagnostic, and this refers to the fact that the DSM contains every diagnosable condition. It's given a specific name and a classification. Under each disorder in the DSM, you'll see a list of criteria that need to be met in order for a patient to be diagnosed with that specific condition or disorder. So for example, there may be six or seven different criteria that are listed as possible symptoms. So for a patient to be diagnosed with that disorder, they may have to meet, say, five out of the six or seven criteria to be diagnosed. So even though a patient doesn't have to meet every symptom criteria, we still list all of them so that clinicians understand the possible symptoms that could be seen for a condition. This also gives a universal language to clinicians, because if I refer to a patient as having bipolar 2 disorder, any other clinician that patient works with needs to understand the terminology that I've used in the diagnosis. So by looking at that term, they kind of have an idea of what symptoms they may see presented before they even meet the patient. Now the S in DSM stands for statistical, and this is important because along with each different disorder that's listed in the DSM and the criteria or symptomology that we would need to have met, the manual offers statistics that paint the picture of what we would call a typical case for that disorder. It allows the practitioner to understand the type of presentation you're most likely going to see in a person who has, say, bipolar disorder. 
So not only are the symptoms listed, but we have different demographic information and facts such as gender prevalence, age of onset, history of trauma, or events that the patient may have experienced before the onset of a disorder, often referred to as precipitating events, and so on. Every person who's diagnosed with that disorder is going to meet those statistical findings but it helps a clinician understand the prevalence and typical picture of what they might see for a patient with that disorder. It also helps us to identify when maybe a case is atypical, which is important because we're allowed to then better understand how to treat that specific patient. Finally, if you notice, there's no T in DSM, and that's an important note to make. The one thing that's never included in any edition of the DSM is treatment information. You know, if I have a sinus infection and I go to the doctor, chances are I'm going to get a Z-Pack and maybe a steroid shot if I'm lucky, and that's because the treatment for a typical sinus infection is pretty standard across the board. But in mental health, the way we treat a disorder can be a very eclectic and unique way, depending on the practitioner, depending on the patient, and depending on the circumstances or timeline for treatment to occur. So because of that, we don't give treatment ideas or suggestions in the DSM. It's only used as a diagnostic tool. You'll find no treatment suggestions in that book. Instead, the process of developing a treatment plan goes on individually between a practitioner and their client, one that fits that specific client and that specific practitioner in the specific circumstance. So that's the basics behind the DSM, or Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. It's a pretty big book, and it's not exactly what I would call a good read while you're sitting on the beach, but it is a really helpful tool in mental health and it's probably gonna be on your next psychology exam. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you learned something and I look forward to having you again on the next Psych Segments. If you've enjoyed today's episode of Psych Segments, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. For more psychological knowledge, check out the blog at www.psychsegments.com or follow me on Twitter to suggest topics for future episodes. I'd love to help you on your journey to understanding psychology and how it relates to you. Thanks for listening.